welcome to Break the Mold. Think of this podcast as a place where you can get your dose of inspiration, motivation, and a shift in mindset as we invite extraordinary industry leaders and have real raw conversations of how they broke the mold in their industry and share tips on productivity, health, wellness, and everything in between. Hello, hello, beautiful people. My name is Jordana Fortaleza, founder of clean beauty brand, The Lifestyle Co. I am obsessed with everything self-care and have a passion for helping people be the best versions of themselves. With over a decade of valuable experience in business, I was inspired to launch The Life Academy. I am so excited to start this new journey with you. Hello everyone, I'm Diane Carante. I am a multifaceted publicist with a passion to elevate brands to their highest potential. My life mission is to never lose sight of your inner power. Before we dive into our first episode, we are so excited to introduce Tim Chan, Senior Editor at Rolling Stone Magazine, as our very first guest. Tim is not only a dear friend and a very well-respected journalist, I've always loved working with him on many articles. He has a special capability to capture the essence of the story and the subjects. And recently, he's taken on a new venture with being the co-founder of his first spirit brand, So Gay Rosé. Tim, honestly, thank you so much for coming on on our new podcast, Breaking the Mold. This is something new for Diane and I, and it's really, really inspiring and amazing that I get to talk to you today. I'm somebody who's really broke the mold, <laughs> and this is our first episode, so just know that we might be a little bit nervous, just kind of getting our groove, but we're, we're here to have fun and really share your story. So again, thank you so much for taking the time today. Wow. Well, congratulations. And I'm so excited that you guys are inviting me uh, to your launch. Congratulations on all of your amazing accomplishments. That's, uh, that's a lot under your belt. So with you being an editor, marketing consultant, and now a Rosé owner, do you have any tips that you can tell um, any, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs on your productivity, or do you have like a morning routine that you want to share to kind of get your mind right for the day? Cause it seems like you're very busy with all of these uh, titles under your belt. So can you kind of walk us through any kind of tips on productivity? Yeah. Well, I don't know what kind of tips I can give, but I will say I'm actually not a morning person. Oh. So it's really funny because I actually have so much trouble getting out of bed. My alarm actually, um, doesn't go off until 8.05 every morning. So I'm sure you're gonna talk to people on this podcast where they're like, I start my day at 5 a.m. with a workout or you know, a smoothie or whatever, but I barely make it out of bed at 8.05 in the morning. So I would say though that my tip is, um, you know, really making sure that you enjoy what you do. You know, I never feel like I'm stressed out at work because I really love what I do, whether it's at Rolling Stone Magazine or with the Wine So Gay Rosé. Both are things that I've always wanted to do. And both both of these things are things that I am um, really enjoying. And so it never feels like work for me. And it's funny because a lot of people ask me like, you know, what I'm binging on Netflix, you know, what I'm watching on TV. And when I get home from my day job at Rolling Stone, I'm actually so motivated by the work I'm doing at the magazine that I can't wait to go home and then work on my wine and bring that same energy to my wine. I actually feel like sometimes it's a waste of my time to be ordering Postmates and like binging a TV show. Cause I'm like, man, there, there are two to three hours here where I could be working on something else. And so I think the key to productivity is really being excited about what you're doing 
and making sure that um, when you do spend time working on it, you are working towards growing something, you're working towards building something rather than working at something that kind of is a dead end. Right. Wow. I love that. It's funny because typically a lot of entrepreneurs and editors have tip on that, but I think the way you frame that is so perfect. It's very inspiring because anyone can really just relate to that just by the way you said it in terms of uh, your tips on productivity and being able to love what you do and kind of just being really excited about your craft. And I love that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think that's that you wake up volumes. at 8.05 AM. That's even a plus because yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, for example, I am a morning person, so I need to do all these morning routines to get my mind right. So the fact that you're able to kind of get everything started on your own terms, I think that's the true definition of very happy life. So kudos to you. Amazing. Yeah. I admire that you were able to find your own path to just be self-motivated, you know, that speaks large volumes, I think, for somebody that has a self-made role in a self-made career, and not just only as a writer, but now you also have to look out as an entrepreneur for totally different business than the other industry that you've been so involved in. Well, sometimes when you have a routine, it becomes just that, it becomes a routine, and you don't even know why you're doing it anymore. You're like, well, I've always been waking up at five, or I always start my day with a glass of lemon water or whatever it is. And are you actually enjoying it? Do you get something out of it? Or are you just stuck in a rut? Are you stuck in a routine? So I think a lot of people require routine in their life to kind of get them going. I'm someone who would actually feel really bored in a routine and I would actually lose motivation if everything becomes too routine. And so for me, it's really about setting myself up for things that uh, I enjoy and things that I'm good at and things that I can grow at as opposed to setting a daily schedule that I follow to a T. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Let's take a quick break to thank the sponsor of the show, The Lifestyle Co. We are a clean beauty brand based in Los Angeles that specializes in natural perfumes and cruelty-free body products. With summer right around the corner, we are featuring our best-selling Botanical Beach Mist. It has natural ingredients like aloe, lavender, and tea tree oil to help moisturize and hydrate your sun-drenched skin. Best part, it also doubles as a natural toner. It's the perfect go-to product for summer. You can purchase it on thelifestyleco.com and that's life with a Y. Now let's get back to the show. So within that, how did you get inspired from getting into journalism? I know that you love pop culture and I think I personally know that where it stems from, but I wanted, you know, we want to hear from your side and how you got into journalism and how you're able to push your career even further. Well, a lot of things really stem from childhood, doesn't it? And for me, my childhood was very conservative. I grew up um, as the firstborn son of Chinese immigrants. And not only was I uh, in a Chinese family, both of my parents were also deeply religious. Both of my parents are now evangelical preachers. And my dad actually runs the largest Chinese megachurch in North America. And so growing up, I actually was not exposed to pop culture a lot. We were taught that um, if you're into fashion, it was considered very worldly. You know, if you listen to secular music, it was very ungodly. And so I actually didn't listen to music or watch TV really until I would say junior high. Because in junior high, you start going to parties, you know, at people's houses, you you do sleepovers. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is this Beverly Hills 90210? Yeah boys to men like oh my god i've never heard of this before prior to that i was only allowed to listen to like worship music christian music and watch uh like christian programming 
And so I, I do think part of my interest in pop culture stems from feeling a little bit left out and feeling like I need to make up for mm. lost time. Um, the good thing about that is I'm really discovering it on my own. It, because I wasn't surrounded by it as a child, I can now yeah. decide who I like and who I don't like. Um, because I can go back and be like, oh, I want to listen to all the old Mariah because I got into Mariah at a later age. Or like, oh, wow, I knew, I knew TLC from uh, Crazy Sexy Cool, but I didn't know they had other albums before then. You know, I really get to decide who I like and don't like when it comes to pop culture. But when it comes to writing and journalism, to be honest, the reason why I got into it is because I feel like it's the only thing that I was ever good at. You know, I was never great at math or science. And so the traditional Asian path would be you become a lawyer or a doctor or engineer. And trust me, if I was good at those, I would be making way more money right now as a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. But I wasn't good at it. So the only thing I was good at was writing. And I remember as a kid, I would journal a lot. You know, I was definitely like in my feelings a lot as a kid. And I would write in my journal every night. Um, I definitely, um, you know, did the whole blogging thing when blogs first started up. I also would write um, and pretend to make like newspapers and then hand them out to like my aunts and uncles. Um, oh, that's so cute. You know, that was sort I of totally like my earliest that. thing. Wow. I yeah. yeah, that was my that. earliest yeah. thing with writing. So ever since I was a kid, I've always been into writing. And I never thought of pursuing it as a career because again, in like an Asian family, the expectation is that you'll do something a little bit um, more traditional. And yeah. so when my parents found out that I was good at writing and, and good at speaking and interested in, let's say, pop culture and things like that, they were like, okay, maybe the path is for you to be a lawyer because you're good at talking, you're good at writing, you're going to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so I went to college with the full intention of going to law school. Um, but in my senior year of college, I, I actually applied for some journalism schools. I'm like, let's just see if my hunch is right. I really feel like I could be a good journalist. So let me apply to some journalism schools. And I didn't really tell my parents. I kind of just did it. And lo and behold, I only got into one journalism program in North America. And that was at Columbia University. Wow. And Columbia is an Ivy League. That's like a big, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Columbia is an say. Ivy, Ivy League school. <laughs> Ivy League school. Yes. You know, um, their graduate <laughs> program in journalism is one of the most prestigious programs in the country. And so when I got into Columbia, I remember telling my parents, I'm like, hey, mm -hmm. I actually got into journalism school and it's at Columbia. Wow. And when my parents heard that, immediately they were like, oh my gosh, you can be a journalist now because <laughs> it's not just a You hobby. shut it down, Tim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it was at a school they right. recognized. It was a program that they've heard about. I think up until yeah. then, they always thought writing would be like a hobby. You know, they used to say, like, just because you like riding a bike doesn't mean you're going to be a, a cyclist. Yeah. Or just because mm -hmm. you like to skate doesn't mean you'll be a figure skater. I mean, Diane maybe right. was going to be a figure skater, who knows? But, <laughs> um, you know, I could like just skate around, skate in circles around the rink doesn't mean I'm going to become a figure skater. And so my mm -hmm. parents never really considered writing as a full-time career until I got into journalism school. And I think getting into Columbia was a wake-up call for myself as well to be like, wait a second, like this school accepted me. Like maybe yeah. this is something I'm good at. Wow. Yeah, especially as for an admission alone, that's like they even opened up your your application and you were so worthy of it. They had to give it to you. I mean, I think it's like your inner child just because you were so like naturally talented at writing that just like carried you through and you knew it all along, like inside. And so you but took think, the chance on it. 
Yeah, but I think the funny thing about humans is, you know, we always yeah. think we're good at stuff, but we always seek validation. Yes. And no one had ever told me I was a good writer. My parents knew I was a good writer, but they told me it was more of a hobby, you know, that it wasn't mm -hmm. going to be like a full-time thing. And, you know, in high school, I wrote for the school paper and things like that, but you never take it seriously. Right. So I yeah. think I've always known that I was a good writer, but I needed to get into journalism school to be validated as a good writer. It's funny because, you know, Diane and I, obviously, that we come from Asian backgrounds as well. And we understand, you know, yeah. the strictness when it comes to education. We have a very similar yeah. story in that sense. And we're both Filipino where our moms wanted us to be nurses and in the no, medical field, just like that. Or anything. Yeah. A, a stable lifestyle. And the mm -hmm. funny thing is that, you know, with your story, I feel like every parent in our background, it, when it comes to school, that's a way for them to validate us through, you yeah. know, school we go to, or, you know, at least have some kind of a degree. And, you know, your, your story is so inspiring um, because I know that I can relate completely. And I know Diane can, and I know there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that could definitely relate to that. Um, and the fact that you were able to turn your talent to even um, something that's even more substantial than just writing or the blog, but actually taking that and, you know, elevating the way you write through school. That's pretty amazing. So yeah. congratulations. And sticking with your gut to like to follow it, you know, to, to really and it look where it took you now. Like, I think yeah. that's a really amazing journey. Yeah, I think, you know. One of the things that really comforts me in my life and my career is there are really no wrong turns. You know, there are no wrong answers. I think we live our life in fear being like, if I make this move or if I make this decision, it's going to ruin my life. There are really, there are very few things that can actually ruin your life, you know? So let's say I applied for journalism school and I didn't get in. I would have been bummed about it, but at least I would have known, okay, this is not the path for me. Let's go to law school or let's you know, move into yeah. a different, a different area. I think a lot of times people are afraid to make moves because they feel like they're going to get stuck if they make a wrong turn. But yeah. here's the thing about wrong turns. If you make a wrong turn, all you got to do is turn around and that's your way out. You know how you got in there. You're not stuck, you know? And so there's no such thing as um, worst case scenario or wrong turns in my book. Everything is just a stepping stone or just a path towards getting you to where you need to be. Well said. I love it. <laughs> um, I love that, Tim. Uh, that's truly inspiring. With, I actually want to know, so you were an editor, you're an editor and you work at Rolling Stones and all that amazing things. How do you shift from that to wanting to open up your own Rosé brand? What was it about a part of your life where it kind of shifted you to be like, you know what? I want to make my own rosé and have all this amazing mission behind it. I want to know where were you in your life where you decided to do that, to catapult, to take the leap of faith of entrepreneurship? Well, Rolling Stone is very much a dream job. You know, ever since I can remember, I've always wanted to write for Rolling Stone, let alone being an editor at Rolling Stone. So I love my job. I love what I do here. But at the end of the day, Rolling Stone is not my magazine. You know, I work for a boss. I work for a company that runs it. So no matter what I do or what I create, even if I write an article, you know, I don't completely own it. Someone assigned the article to me or one of my editors had to approve the article. It's never really my thing. And so during the pandemic, you know, I had a lot of time at home to think about what I wanted to do next. You know, everyone was thinking about what are we going to do coming out of this pandemic? And I realized that something I wanted to do was work on a project that was completely my own. And I knew that 
it might not have been in journalism because actually years ago, I started my own magazine called Corduroy, like a corduroy jacket. Um, and it was an arts and culture magazine, super indie magazine that I started with a friend in New York. So I had already done that entrepreneurship thing with magazines. So I wanted to see what else was out there. And I actually wasn't looking uh, specifically to start something, but I was out one night with a friend and we were drinking rosé at the proper hotel in Santa Monica. Shout out to the proper hotel rooftop. <laughs> we love that and, place. Yeah, yes, love it's that always place. a fun place. Yeah. And we were drinking rosé and getting a little bit tipsy, of course. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just had the best idea. So gay rosé. <laughs> and my friend, who's now my business partner, he's super entrepreneurial, even more than me. He's actually an entrepreneur. And he said, you know what, Tim? I think that's a great idea. We should do it. And I was like, what do you mean we should do it? It's just like my drunk idea. And he's like, no, let's write this down. Let's do it. And the next day we registered the company and we signed a contract to work together. Wow. And so it wasn't like I was looking for something in particular. I knew I've always wanted to work on something that was completely my own. Um, but the rosé thing sort of just happened, you know, over drinks with a friend. And I'm kind of excited that it happened that way because I think a lot of people, when they're looking for something to do, they do a ton of market research. They think about what's going to make them rich. They think about what's trending right now. Yeah. And you end up overthinking it. You know, like how many friends do we know that, you know, started a clothing line or say they're starting a clothing line and it never quite works out or they say they're going to launch, you know, a website and never quite works out, you know, because maybe they've overthought it and they've psyched themselves out of it. For me, the fact that So Gay Rosé came out of a night of drinking with a friend was perfect because we were like, let's just do it. Who cares what happens? Let's give it a shot. And again, like I was saying earlier, there's no worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, we have a lot of extra alcohol that everyone can come over and, and drink at my house, you know? So we just decided to go for it. And it's actually been super motivating to be able to build a brand from scratch that's completely your own. Yeah. And you were able to take the time with it and put like all that love and care into it. And I think it's like the packaging is amazing. It's super colorful. It, it speaks its own, you know, branding itself and the quality of even just the alcohol is really good. You guys were able to just naturally like do all those things together and, you know, do your tastings and um, what, you know, test product and just do it step by step and not rush into it as far as like someone who is overlooking or overthinking what they want to do next. They'll do all these things, like you said, would psych themselves out. Well, for me, it's like I've done a lot of things in the past that were for fun or a passion project or as a joke, yeah. you know, and I just think I'm at the age where I don't want to do things just for fun anymore. Right. If I'm going to start something, you know, if you guys are starting this podcast, if I'm starting this wine brand, you know, how is it going to help me either grow in terms of business or grow as a person? I only want to do things that will help me grow. And so we really took this seriously once we launched the wine. Yes, it's kind of funny because it's called So Gay Rosé and, you know, it's super it. Instagrammable. Um, <laughs> but we wanted to make sure like, hey, if we're going to do this, like, let's treat this like a real business. I don't want this to be a joke brand that disappears after, you know, three months yeah. or whatever. So now we've started to work backwards. You know, we kind of got the product out. Now we're kind of starting backwards and being like, let's build out the business plan. Let's build out a team of advisors. Let's look for investors. You know, we're kind of doing all the um, legwork now to ensure that it functions as a real brand. 
That's amazing. Are there any key stores or, you know, key places that you would love to sell the rosé? I mean, well, it's super exciting because, you know, just this month we got into BevMo, which if you guys live in California, you'll know BevMo is like a huge uh, liquor yeah. store chain here. So BevMo was great. And there's a store called Pink Dot on Sunset Boulevard, which is like iconic. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, it's like an old old school liquor store that's been there forever. And they're like the OG alcohol delivery, delivery. place. Yes. Yeah. We love that. That was yes. the yeah. early clubbing days back in the early 2000s for sure. <laughs> exactly. So that was really exciting. And now, you know, we'd love to expand in like other cities to uh, uh, like New York, Miami, um, you know, other major cities, Chicago, Diane, you have to hook me up with some yeah. connections in Chicago. Yeah. You know, we'd love to continue to grow that. Um, but also, you know, we really want to start partnering with more people. I do think it's important um, to have people promoting your brand. I think what you want is you don't want someone who buys it once and forgets about it. You really want people who are fans of your brand, who will keep buying it and keep telling people about it. I mean, yeah, if you need to get um, everyone excited and, you know, other people that they can relate to as well and not just, oh, we see a rosé, a new rosé on the shelf kind of thing. I think, exactly. I think the mission behind it and also the fact that you are celebrating community is very powerful. Um, I think that's a very innovative concept for you. And I think that definitely where we're at in the world and also how society is moving, I think that it's definitely going to be a very successful brand just because I feel that everyone has, has opened up and they're really understanding where our society is going. And I think that what you're doing is pretty incredible in terms of what you're celebrating, what your mission is, and the love that you're putting into this brand. And that's what people love, the story behind it. And I think that you've got all your, your checks in that box. You've got it all down. So it's pretty incredible. Congratulations again on that. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, as Diane will tell you, the hardest thing about building a brand is finding the story behind it. You know, Diane and I always talk about like, how do we pitch something? What's yeah. the story? You know, we work closely together in that way. A lot right. of brands start with the product first. So they'll be like, hey, yeah. we launched a pair of shoes. And then they work really hard to find a story behind the shoes. And they might say like, you know, our founder ran a marathon in this, or like we're donating shoes to kids in Africa or whatever. But it, it's a story that came after the product. For So Gay Rosé, the story start, started first. You know, it's about yeah. reclaiming this phrase, that's so gay which was used against me as a kid in a negative way and saying, no, we're going to reclaim this phrase and make it a positive thing. And that's what really spurred the product. It wasn't like yeah. we have this amazing rosé and now we got to come up with this story. This is actually my authentic story. And Love that it. sometimes is the hardest part of creating a brand. And so I really think the brand is more important than the rosé. You know, we have a lot of friends who, who are sober and they're like, you know what, we don't drink, so we can't you know, buy or drink the rosé, but we still support the brand because we love what it represents. Exactly. That's pretty- yeah. And I think, it, yeah, I think that's a, like a beautiful turnaround how, and the exact way of how I also work when I talk to brands that want PR, it, I always need to know what the story is because I need to relive it and be mm-hmm. able to be passionate and sharing it and also like the brand itself and, you know, be excited about, what that background story is otherwise I don't have any way of helping or supporting the brand it's I would just say okay this is 
you know, a new spirit and it has A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but there's no feeling behind it. So, you know, with, with the same relation that you're talking about with having a good story or knowing the story and having it be authentic, it really does push that, that subject forward, that product forward. Otherwise there's no point. So, so, but I mean, with you and like leading the, you know, leading the way. And as an example, with not just your, your rosé, but your story growing up with your parents, you know, having, you know, more of a strict structured lifestyle into now opening it up. And then also, you know, being an example for the LGBT community and everything that you do, you know, what advice would you give to those who are aspiring, who are in the same climate role as you are and chasing their dreams and, you know, want to also push their way through the community. Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. One is whether you're in the LGBTQ community or not, if you want to start something, the answer is do it. You know, the two of you wanted to start yeah. a podcast. Let's just do it. Let's try it. There's no there's no harm in trying something. What often is the most harmful is when you have all these ideas and you don't act on it. You don't talk about it because then you're stuck with all these great ideas and you're stuck in a state of fear because you don't know how to move on and actually, you know, activate your idea. It's kind of like, you know, when you're trying to ask someone out, you crush on them, you text them, you DM them, but you never actually go on a date. (laughs) So what's the point of like talking to this person for months when you're not actually going to meet up and go on a date? I feel like that's the dating scene. Oh my God, preach, preach, preach. I go through that every month with a new guy that I match with or whoever that person is. Preach to. Well, that's why like even on the apps, like I give myself a rule like, okay, we can talk back and forth like maybe 10 to 20 lines, not even days, like 10 to 20 (laughs) exchanges. And one of us has to be like, hey, can we grab coffee? Or hey, can we you know, go on a hike or something, because the whole point of this is to like meet up, not to have a pen pal, you know? So in terms of entrepreneurship, (laughs) it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's like, you don't just want to be talking and talking. You want to actually act on it. And I think the one thing that stops people is a fear of failure. But like I've said before, there really is no failure in trying by actually trying and launching your idea. You've already made it farther than 75% of the population people who are just stuck talking and talking with no action. And so my advice for aspiring entrepreneurs would be to find an idea and just try it. Now, the other thing you need to do is make sure you actually have a good idea. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I want to start a clothing line. Well, what does that mean? Are you making t-shirts? Are you making pants? Are you making jackets? Oh, well, I just want to make cool clothing. Like that to me is not enough of an idea. You have to actually have a very solid idea in terms of a theme, in terms of, a look in terms of a feel. And so make sure your idea is something that stands out, is different, or feels very personal to you. You know, rosé in a can is not is not new, it's not different. And so mm-hmm. I'm not here saying like, this is the newest product in the market. You've seen other canned rosés. But what we're saying is here's a rosé that actually supports the gay community. And it's actually started by a queer person not not a corporate brand that slaps a rainbow on something and says they love the gays you know so our right. idea our idea wasn't the newest idea but it's definitely a personal idea that you can't really find in the wine and spirits industry and it's such a happy idea i think it's like those kind of things that bring joy really does like break the mold and shift and like 
really does carry on, you know, for the, like the long life and not just short lived. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. Wow. What an inspiring story, Tim. Um, is there anything that you want to say on how or advice for anybody that wants to break the mold? Yeah, well, I love the, I love the term breaking the mold. I love that that's what you're naming your podcast because a lot of us are raised to think that if we don't fit a mold, if we don't fit into A, B, C, D category, we somehow won't be as successful or as rich or as cool as other people. And I think... You know, it's people who are actually outside of the mold and breaking the mold that are the coolest and richest and most successful people because they don't conform to a certain set of rules. They're making their own rules. And I think for me, I've always struggled to fit in because I was gay, because I grew up religious. Um, I always felt like I'm not going to be accepted or cool unless I fit this persona, Um, especially in the queer community. I think there are a lot of stereotypes for gays. Uh, living in LA, sometimes it can be very toxic too. Like as a gay man in LA, you have to look a certain way or act a certain way. And I always struggled to fit in because I wasn't that way. And it's only been until recently that I've realized like, no, like it's actually better to not be like everyone else. I actually think you'll stand out and be more respected if you have your own thoughts and your own look. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's so important, you know, that's why this podcast is so important to encourage people to think outside the box and not worry so much about fitting in, but worry more about standing out. Wow. There you go, guys. That's Tim (laughs) Chan. That was you as our first guest. We could not have asked for an inspiring person. You really, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I think you set the bar high, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur myself and I'm so inspired even more now, more than ever because of this conversation. Tim, thank you so much. That was truly your story what you're doing with your rosé brand. It's truly amazing and so inspiring. And this is just the beginning and I know that, but I have a feeling that your brand is going to be known everywhere, not just as a pioneer of that industry, but just, you know, the message. It's just going to inspire a lot of people. And I'm truly excited for you. Thank you. And cheers to new beginnings with your podcast as well. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed our very first episode with Tim Chan. Catch new episodes every other Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast as we invite new industry leaders on how they break the mold. Also, make sure to visit us online at breakthemold.com for updates and follow us on Instagram at breakthemold underscore podcast.